Hello, Penn Law students and alums. Welcome to Penn Law Perspectives. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm a graduate of the Penn Law Class of 2020. I'm excited to welcome our next guest to the podcast. Episode 6 features Adam Sow from the Penn Law Class of 2017. Adam and I had a wonderful conversation about his time at Penn Law, his work as an attorney in D.C., and his new venture that he's launching called At Philosophy. You'll hear more about At Philosophy from Adam towards the end of the conversation. I found Adam to have a very mindful presence and a versatile skill set, and I learned that this derives from lessons he learned observing his parents' work ethic and creativity growing up. Adam's passion for cross-disciplinary modes of thinking really comes to life throughout the conversation as he seamlessly connects his interest in philosophy to his interest in business, law, and entrepreneurship. If you'd like to connect with Adam, please do so on LinkedIn at Adam Sow. He also provided a list of courses he took at Penn that I can share. Contact me if you're interested. I hope you enjoy his Penn Law perspective. I try to convince people to slow down, slow down AI, to regulate AI. This was futile. So I um I, I'm excited about this conversation. You're the first non 2020 alum on the podcast. All the conversations that I had with uh, now alums of the class of 2020 uh, happened before graduation. But I'm, I'm I'm really anticipating hearing your thoughts on your Penn experience. Um, you graduated in the class of 2017. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Great. So I'm I'm excited to hear about what 2014 to 2017 was like for you. Um, and where your career has taken you. Uh, but can you start just, uh, again, introducing yourself, uh, Adam, and, and uh, reminding us of your class year and um, telling us a little bit about what you do? Sure, happy to. And thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be, I guess, your first alumni on your podcast. And, uh, you know, you're doing great things with this, and I'm seeing it really spread like wildfire. So kudos to you, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank so you. So a little bit about myself. Um, again, it's Adam Sal, the T is silent. I grew up born and raised in Baltimore County, Maryland, Um, stayed around that area for most of my life into college when I moved over to St. Louis and went to Wash U for four years. And I actually started in the business school there. But after a semester, I was like, you know what, let me mix things up a little bit. So I transferred out of the business school uh, to arts and sciences, and I just went full, like, force ahead into philosophy, majored in that, uh, minored in psych, and that was that was a whirlwind of fun. I mean, it really exposed me to some really cool ideas out there. And um, interestingly enough, that's not what led me into the law. Uh, My interest in business took me towards commercial real estate, actually, in Mm -hmm. DC. And when I was working in DC right after undergrad, a couple of my mentors were former attorneys that had Mm -hmm. jumped over to the business side of things. So I thought it would be a really cool experience to learn that legal mindset, to analyze problems with, with that framework. And I was still young and energetic, so I decided to take the plunge. And so I actually ended up transferring to Penn. So okay. I started there after my 1L year. I went my 1L year at Wash U. Okay. I wanted to mix things up, and uh, Penn was always one of the schools that I looked up to. So it was kind of an exciting experience to get that chance to go there. So when I came in as a transfer student, it was 
it helped me really focus in on what I wanted to get out of my time at Penn. Yes. So I planned things out and then built in some room for flexibility and, and just learning from classmates and professors to see where I could take things. Yeah. So. Great. Wow. You have a, a, a very unique um, multidisciplinary background philosophy well business initially to philosophy to real estate and to law um, I want to talk a little bit selfishly just briefly about St. Louis you, you spent you know five years there uh, of your life roughly yeah roughly yeah so um, I'm a St. Louis native myself um, and uh, from Florissant so the North County area um, I'm curious where where did you live when you were in St. Louis and do you have any any impressions about St. Louis that you don't mind sharing? Sure, I'd be happy to. I mean, it was such a big part of me growing up and, and transforming to the person I am today. Um, it's one of those cities that feels really close to home for me just mm. because I went through so many developmental phases uh, on campus and in the surrounding city. And when I went there, I lived on campus for, let's say, two and a half years or so. So I graduated early from WashU. Okay. During my last year at WashU, I lived on the Loop, uh, the Domar Loop, which is a lot of really fun mom and pop restaurants, a lot of different foods and snacks that you can get there. And it's just growing to be such a vibrant place these days. I went back uh, about a year and a half ago and I didn't recognize like half of the restaurants on the Loop. So it's really exciting to see uh, some fresh new places for students to go as well as some of the really uh, staples of the Loop. And yeah. then when I came back for law school, for one year, I lived out in Central West End. And that was a really fun experience because it took me a little bit further away from the WashU bubble. Um, and also great restaurants around there too. I had to drive to class, which was a different experience than my undergrad, but then yeah. I felt more like an adult that way. So it was kind of nice to have that separation, but uh, St. Louis and, and that area really, you know, it's, it's part of home for me. Yeah, yeah. You drove down Forest Park Parkway Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's, you, you're reminding me of uh, some, some of the experiences I had uh, as a child. I, I lived about 20 minutes from WashU, but uh, I would spend a lot of time um, in the loop, but we would go to Fitz's, you know, we would, we would uh, uh, go to, uh, you know, Bar Louie sometimes around there, uh, you know, back in the day, much younger um, and naive. Uh, that's why we were at Bar Louie in St. Louis. Um, but, you know, that area is, is near and dear to my heart. Um, my sister went to WashU. My father uh, worked there for almost 32, 33 years. Um, it was really the first job he had when he came to the country from Nigeria, uh, night, night shift role there. So, you know, WashU is, is definitely um, a part of the, the Ote family in a substantial way. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, but then Penn happened. Um, and I want to get into your experience there. Can you take us through your time at the law school uh, at Penn Law specifically? Uh, where did you focus your course of study during uh, 2L and 3L year? And what activities were you involved in? Sure. So my primary focus uh, during my time at Penn was really in corporate law and learning as much on that side as I possibly could in, in the academic environment. And part of that is because I was really focused on becoming an M&A attorney. And I just have a background fascination with business and 
part of that too is getting more exposure to the startup side of things and the entrepreneurial scene to the extent that I could. So I remember uh, prepping for my first day of classes and just looking through the huge roster of like the amazing suite of professors and different topics that I could take. And the first class that I signed up for was corporations with Professor Skeel. Okay. Uh, he's such a great guy to bounce ideas off of and just gave me a great foundation in corporations and the fundamental like Delaware case law. After the first class, I actually went to him and asked if he'd be interested in working with me on an independent study because I was also really interested in doing a deep dive into some specific topics. And I thought that an independent study was a really fun way to do that while working closely with a professor. And he was happy to. And after, I think it was either a semester or two, um, I really focused in on like pricing mechanics in M&A deals. And that eventually got published in JBL, the Journal of Business Law. Yeah. So it was like really cool to go through that, that process. And then aside from that, just taking a lot of the foundational classes that I thought were helpful to gain that understanding and working proficiency at the academic level um, in corporate law. So I took like corporate finance, both from the legal side and the corporate finance from the business side. Okay. A couple of other M&A classes, so advanced corporations, uh, M&A, and then also, um, I think it's called M&A through the business cycle, which is taught by a couple of practitioners from SNC. Yes. So it was really great exposure from that front and then um, took some time to to get involved with some of the pro bono projects there so I was pretty heavily involved with urban ventures project okay which when I was there we went into this um, juvenile detention center in Philly and we taught classes to the students that were there on how to start your own business because a traditional collegiate pathway wasn't necessarily the best pathway for them and so my parents, they weren't able to go to college for a variety of reasons. So I too am a, a first generation, um, not only law student, but um, just first generation college student in my family. Yes. And having the exposure and understanding that there's more than one pathway than just going to college and grad school was something that I grew up on and really advocate. You know, if I had a wonderful idea back in high school, I'm going to run with it and just not go to college altogether. Mm. Yeah. Um, so my parents were completely cool with that type of like open-minded approach to things, which is nice. Yeah. So being able to share some of the lessons that I picked up along the way with students that would likely take a non-traditional path was, was very um, hopefully helpful to them. Yeah. And I was also involved with the financial literacy project, which uh, went into high schools and middle schools in the area that really gave students an opportunity to learn about basic finance, like savings and how to just basically manage their money. It's important to have like savings accounts. If you do get credit cards were important things to think about. So just really basics that I felt like there was a gap in at least my middle school and high school education too. So, Wow. Th those are some incredible initiatives uh, in the pro bono on the pro bono front that align to, to your background. I, um, I was in the financial literacy uh, pro bono this past semester, but when the shutdown happened, uh, we weren't able to obviously go inside of schools or go into the uh, the tax organizations to be able to actually do the work. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to to actually take my hand at that. But um, that's something that I'm I'm also passionate about, uh, particularly around the financial literacy and, and giving students and, and young 
children practical skills um, around where to put their money, how to build up credit, um, what it looks like if you, you know, sign a lease, what it might look like if you even decide to take out loans to go to college. Um, all of that is, is so important. Um, you took advantage of, of resources outside of the law school as well. Um, we spoke last week uh, briefly and we connected over um, our interest in, in entrepreneurship, uh, business and legal, um, all three which are intertwined. And uh, I mentioned how there's this dormant, uh, in my opinion, you know, somewhat dormant spirit uh, at Penn Law uh, around entrepreneurship that's awakening. And I'm sure uh, that's becoming more apparent over time. Um, but for you specifically, can you talk about uh, some of the activities or some of the resources you took advantage of outside of the law school, um, one, and then two, you know, where did that desire to go beyond the walls of the law school um, and expand your, your knowledge base and be entrepreneurial uh, come from? You touched on it a little bit uh, with your parents' background, but can you go a little bit deeper with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so if you don't mind, I'll actually start with the second part of the question, because I think it helps lay the foundation of um, some of the decision making that I did. Absolutely. So it really came from when I was a kid, seeing my parents uh, have to take that street smart entrepreneurial pathway because they didn't really have any other option. They didn't go to college, so they couldn't get into one of these blue chip firms to work on the corporate side of things. So they were very much on the ground and seeing them work through that process as a kid was very, very inspiring because it had taught me that regardless of where you were, if you work hard enough and if you work smart enough, uh, you can eventually make the pieces come together. And it's definitely not a straightforward A to B type thing, but it's something that really teaches you to think outside of the box because you have to. And that, I guess interest really resonated with me and expanded at WashU actually when I studied philosophy because I felt like there's a lot of benefit to studying business in a traditional business program. But by driving this like need to diversify my thought process and how to approach problems differently in philosophy, I was actually introduced to a whole spectrum of different mindsets and skill sets that all came to play in a very intertwined network. So I focused on things like aesthetic theory, which was my primary focus in undergrad. And that led me to taking classes in the art school, the design school and the architecture school. And having taken a couple of classes there was just mind blowing. Mm. Right? Like one of the um, a midterm for one of my classes in a design thinking class was design pencil. The only requirement was that it be beautiful. And I'm wow. just like, I don't even know how to define <laughs> beauty, right? I spent semesters debating that. But that was a very hands-on approach where we had to create enough for every single person in the class. We had to produce this working pencil and it had, had to be beautiful. Mm. So with that as a background, I really wanted to learn cross-disciplinary modes of thinking. And I thought that that'd be quite helpful because I had this entrepreneurial drive, if you will, for such a long time that I knew at some point I would jump back to the business side of things. So a lot of it was preparation for that. So when I got to Penn, one of the main drivers for me to look at Penn as a place to transfer to was how intertwined it was with Wharton and the business school. And I really liked the emphasis on taking business classes to accentuate our legal education. So I took the Wharton Certificate of Management, which when I took it was right after they switched from a semester program 
um, to okay. a condensed program. So that was actually quite nice because I felt like everything was cohesive and the ideas, because I was, had working familiarity with a lot of the topics, it helped keep everything close together and it helped me think about them in a more, in a related way. Beyond that, I took two classes at Wharton. One of them was, um, which we actually both took, yes. uh, called Entrepreneurship Through Acquisition. Yes. And that was, um, that was mind-blowing in, in its own right. Just learned so many things um, from the professor and got to work with MBA students, which is also just wonderful change of pace. Um, yes. And also took a class on M&A from the business side of things. And that class, I had actually maxed out my credits from taking um, courses outside of the law school. So yes. I just asked if I could audit the class and the professor was nice enough to let me sit, on, sit in on that one. Um, and that's something that I highly recommend to students that if you might not have the credits, just ask the professor if you can sit in. I wouldn't want to abuse that privilege, obviously, but if there's something you really want to sit in on and have a good reason for, um, a conversation can never hurt. Yes. And the last thing that I did, um, at least at Wharton, was I was actually a research assistant for one of the professors there, Professor Sarah Light, and she does a lot of research at the intersection. She has her JD, so she, she does a lot of research at the intersection of law and innovation, specifically in the environmental space. And that was just, it was a pleasure working with her and researching things about the sharing economy and the legal ramifications of all that. So that was really fun to do a deep dive in from an academic standpoint. And the one class I took outside of Wharton in the entrepreneurial space was called Engineering Entrepreneurship. Okay. And this was a hybrid class with graduate students in engineering, undergraduate students in engineering. At the time, I was the only law school student in that semester. But a couple of students from the law school typically take that um, throughout their time at Penn. And that was just, that was one of my favorite classes to have been exposed to just because the professor really provided a rigid framework for how to address startup issues. Yeah. And this professor had gone through the experience himself and weighed in with some very practical advice that I, I used to this very day. Um, and he brought in some very heavy hitting alums from the Penn Network, yeah. uh, which is also great to, for instance, grab lunch with the co-founder of Venmo. So like those things were just experiences I couldn't have gotten anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, it's, in, it's inspiring to me how entrepreneurial you were with your legal education and, and just with your time at Penn, even, even the step to, to transfer to Penn because of uh, the, the space and the resources that it provides. And uh, I hope that, that students that are listening to this uh, 2Ls and, and, and 3Ls incoming, uh, that they take that as a, a sort of a shot of espresso to, to really take hold of this next, these next two years, this next year that they have as a Penn student um, and really sort of mold it in the way that, that they want to, not just in the law school, but um, outside of the law school as well. I, I really appreciate you, you sharing that. I'm feeling a little bit nostalgic. This is the first time as an alum that I feel as if I'm, I'm missing school, um, hearing you talk about the different opportunities. Um, and I definitely double down on what you say, what you said um, in terms of uh, stepping outside of your comfort zone and having that conversation with the professor to make sure that you're able to get what you need out of that class and out of that space. Um, even before that, you know, it, it's, it's important to let students know that because there's a cap on how many credits you can take outside of the law school, that shouldn't be an impediment for you talking to the administration uh, to see what they can do 
not just on the law school side, but also on the Wharton side or at the engineering school side um, to build those relationships, but also show them that you're serious uh, about stepping into that classroom space. Um, I wanted to take the IP innovation course that I took at Wharton last semester. Um, I think it was IP for the, for the innovation driven enterprise. Um, and it was capped. Uh, there are a lot of undergrad students there and grad students, um, and then a few law students um, that were vying for a spot. And um, I just showed up. You know, I showed up. I was on time. Um, I stayed in class. Uh, ad drop period uh, came and went. Um, and I went to the administration at Wharton and said, hey, you know, I've, I've been here. I've been to every single class. I've been to every single class on time. I'm participating. Um, I'm here. I'm showing you that I want to be here. Can you please... <laughs> Um, you know, let me into this course. And I think through building that relationship and, and being consistent from the start, um, I was able to get into that course. So um, I, uh, I would encourage students to do exactly what Adam did um, and, and maybe take a, a small strand of what I did to, to, uh, to get into the courses that you want to get into at Penn. Um, so next step, I want to I, I talk to you um, a little bit about your career. You, you went to Penn and, and you had this interest in, in M&A. Um, and becoming an M&A uh, attorney, at least in the short term. Um, can you talk to us about uh, your work at the law firm and what you did and, and, and maybe some, I guess, pertinent stories uh, for, for young alums and students? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so during my 2L summer, I summered at Skadden in DC. And it was always my goal to come back to the DC area. So I'm not, you know, I, I love New York for a lot of different things because DC was so close to home and my family. It was just the ideal market for me. So Skadden was one of the few firms that practice M&A on a broad base out in DC. And I was very fortunate to connect with their team down there and, and be hired onto their summer program. So it all started with that and I had a really great experience with my summer class in, in particular. And it's just great to learn from so many of your peers from so many different backgrounds and um, fortunate to carry that over through postgraduate work. Um, you know, it's one of those things where entering big law, it's always gonna be a crazy experience. Um, you know, very high highs in terms of exposure, learn a lot, and big law was just great for that. It just accelerates your learning so quickly, and it's very practice-oriented, which uh, can help uh, bring some of the stuff that you learn from Penn into practice very, very quickly. So understanding some of the basic key cases, for instance, in Delaware law, like some of those questions really do come up day-to-day -day on the M&A side when you consider certain things. It typically happens at a higher level before you're a junior associate, for instance, so partners typically comp contemplate this. Um, but having that exposure just so you can follow the discussion to a degree is very helpful. So when I first joined, I was very happy that I had the experience that I did at Penn. And my experience at Skadden was, was very positive. I have a lot of friends there. Uh, I talked to a bunch of my friends uh, pretty much every week from there, actually. And some of them were from the M&A team, and some of them were from varying different practices from my summer class, and also a couple of classes up, too. So it's just a great, great network of people there. And from a work stream perspective, my time was divided between M&A and also SEC disclosures. And that team was growing very rapidly. And I learned a lot from their team, a very strong group of people. But it got to the point where I was also looking to see a little bit more deal work from 
the DC side of things. So after about a year and a half, I lateraled over to Covington, which is based in DC. And that was a, a move that I hadn't anticipated just because before entering big law, I was always just looking towards Skadden in DC. But having some exposure to Covington after I joined Skadden, their team was wonderful, is wonderful, made a lot of really close friends there. And one of the best things from my experience there was a lot of responsibility early on to really handle um, things that I wouldn't necessarily have had otherwise. So it was just a, a wonderful balance of not only approach and experiences, but just culture as well between the two firms and big law. So I, I highly recommend that students you know, follow their initial push. And if they see something else that might be interesting that they think that could accentuate their legal practice, to not be afraid and, and go for it because it, it can be a, a very informative move. Great, wonderful. And, and uh, you have sort of some next steps uh, as it relates to your career. Um, and I want to hear uh, more about that if, if you don't mind sharing your decision-making process since COVID has hit and since the shutdown has happened. Um, how did you respond to, to that change and, and, and where, where are you going from here? Sure. So about March of this year, when everything was starting to implode from the COVID front, I actually made the decision to leave Covington and leave legal practice formally to start my own venture. And that was a very interesting time because I hadn't expected COVID to hit as hard as it did. Uh, but in a positive flight, I have no FOMO. So everyone is working from home and I can just <laughs> sit down quietly and grind away day in yes. and day out. So in a certain sense, um, I feel like I'm more connected with people and people aren't you know, going out and having fun or anything like that. So yeah. um, it's definitely an interesting time to be working on my own venture. But I felt like it was the right time for me personally to transition. I had a wonderful experience at two different firms. Um, I'm still staying pretty connected into the legal community with some diversity initiatives that we can jump into um, as well. Uh, but with this new venture, it's really creating a platform for driving thought leadership content. And it's surrounding this idea that I've had for a while called business philosophy. And it's something that isn't really a thing yet. So I thought it'd be interesting to write about and try to create this new vertical in the thought leadership space that really applies principles of philosophy to business settings. And I think that, you know, for a very long time, the startup environment really focused on how you just move really, really quickly and get it to market, beta test, et cetera, et cetera, apply modes of design thinking and, and all of this stuff. But I think it's, it's also helpful to take a step back and really think about the consequences and context of certain actions and how those things might play out in the bigger picture. Um, I have a couple of specific things in the pipeline that uh, are TBD at the moment, but it'll, it'll really draw things down to a more concrete manner. Because I know a lot of people think of philosophy as this super abstract thing, yeah. um, but it's actually something that really just frames the mind in terms of how you approach things. So done, done the right way, and hopefully I can achieve that at some point, um, I think it can be really beneficial to people. Yeah, this is exciting for, for me to hear um, because of how connected this, this adventure is to your story and your interests. And I'm really excited to, to follow your journey um, at Ad Philosophy and uh, just learn um, as much as I can. I think that 
this is something that is going to be you know trans transformative for for Penn Law students to hear and, and listen to. Um, but hopefully, you know, for for business folks, people in, in every sector uh, to to hear what you're doing with that philosophy. So I'm I'm really excited, Adam, and, and congratulations um, on those next steps. Yeah, no, thank you. And um, you know, at philosophy was it, it was funny how I came upon that name because. Um, I was just brainstorming a lot of different things and I didn't want to be too abstract. And it was really hard to really convey something that like business philosophy as itself, like no one really knows what it is. So it's my job to educate the market. But I think at philosophy is something where it can hone in either viewers, readers, listeners on the point that, okay, let's really drill down philosophy into our daily lives and how it can benefit us. So it was definitely a very, um, it took a while to come up with, but hopefully it resonates with, with people. Great. And if folks want to find out more, where can they go and search online? Sure. So my website is at www.atphilosophy.com, and that's A-T philosophy. Or to keep things simple, um, the URL www.adamsal.com takes you to the same place. So either or works. Great. Perfect. And uh, we'll also include those links um, in the description as well so that folks can, can access that. And you touched on some of the diversity initiatives that you're still involved with at the law firm. I'd love to hear more about that as well. Sounds good. So this was about a year ago. Um, I joined the board of a nonprofit called AEF, and that stands for the Asian Pacific American Bar Association Educational Fund. It's it's a mouthful, so we just refer <laughs> to AEF for short. Yeah. Uh, and it's a 501c3 nonprofit focused on providing mentorship and scholarships and grants to minority law students in the greater Washington, D.C. area. And this was an initiative that I got involved with straight out of Penn, actually, during my first year of practice in D.C. And a lot of it starts with mentorship and finding law students that are interested in speaking with practicing attorneys on their journeys and any advice that they may have in terms of practice areas or what they could get involved in law school to better their uh, application materials or just broaden their learning experience. And after working with a couple of mentors and meeting some of the board members, I was invited to apply last March uh, for the board and was fortunate enough to be accepted on. And then this year, in about two weeks, actually, I'm going to be brought on as the incoming president of AF. Um, wow. so we hope to really do some innovative things this year um, and provide a lot more content to students, especially during this COVID time, which is very difficult to actually meet face-to-face -face with people. Um, but on the flip side, the prevalence of Zoom and web conferencing means that we can actually push out more types of events uh, at a quicker pace, which is really beneficial for, for students, I think. Um, yes. So that's an exciting thing that my team and I um, are really looking forward to. And one of the things that really got me into this space was my work at Skadden. So during my summer in 2016, as a summer associate, one of the things that I noticed was that there were Asian affinity groups in LA office, New York office, and I think uh, one or two other offices, but we didn't have one in DC. So that was one of the things where I thought that there was a lot of different affinity groups. And I thought that we had a threshold of attorneys and summers where this could actually be helpful for us to get to, 
to get together and discuss um, not only some of the challenges that we saw in the field, but also to share our experiences. And there's also benefits as well. So I remember calling up um, one of the partners and then discussing with some of the attorney recruiting team to see if this was something that we could look into. Like, how do you form an affinity group? Like, I had no idea, right? But just starting the conversation, um, they were very receptive of it. And after about, I think it was a week and a half, we held our first just impromptu lunch uh, at a local DC restaurant. I think it was six of us with a partner, a couple of associates, and a couple of summers. And we're just like, is, is there a need? Like, how has your experience been? in the legal field as an Asian American and what challenges have you had to overcome? That took off positively. And once I came back to Penn as a 3L, two associates really took it and just built a great platform. Mm-hmm. So by the time I returned, there was like some, like 13 or 14 people. Um, and we grew it to over 20 by the time that I left in terms of wow. people in the DC office. And then we put programming through, let's see, we did like four or five events um, in the time that I was there. A couple of them were inter-office uh, panels. We held just DC office events to celebrate the Lunar New Year, um, events to celebrate APA Heritage Month, which just concluded this past May. Uh, and it was just a great thing to get involved with. So to all the students out there listening, even if you're a summer um, you can really make a difference. And if there's something you see that you think the firm or organization that you're at could could benefit from, like feel free to talk to people that you can confide in. So it's one of the things that I highly encourage people to do. Great. Thank you for, for sharing that and, and congratulations for being a resident now at the, at the organization. And um, it seems like things are just aligning for you to really make this what you want to make it with COVID happening and there being opportunities for for learning um, and using, like you said, tools that are at our disposal to really build community. So congratulations to that. Potentially, you know, podcasting um, <laughs> as, as well, uh, maybe. Yeah, so maybe. This is the first, uh, the first podcast that I've done. And, um, you know, it's a very fun experience, uh, especially hearing your stories and getting connected with you and the background that, that you had in bringing this type of initiative to light. So it's fun. Well, thank you for that. I'm, I'm really excited to have students um, listen to this and connect with you and, and hopefully um, stay connected, you know, via LinkedIn or um, through uh, App Philosophy and uh, they can follow you there. Are there any other places that they can follow you or any, any uh, other things you want to talk about in terms of people being able to, to latch on what you're doing right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, any social media outlet um, like Instagram, just search at underscore philosophy. That's another place that you can find me. Um, I'm just getting on this Twitter train. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a bit of a chaotic environment to try and navigate, but if yes. you can find me there, it's just Adam underscore Sal. Um, and learning the whole social media thing is uh, something that I never really spent much time on in law school, but it's something that after practicing is is huge and some of the connections that I've made on LinkedIn to other attorneys in the DC market and a few other different markets too have been really interesting. So again, for students that um, are on these social networks, I think a lot of attorneys are happy to connect with you virtually on LinkedIn, especially if you have a particular story or if they're pendulums. So one of the things that um, I didn't 
really touched yet, but I'm happy to jump into if we have time, is the power of the pen network. Mm. But before that, um, you know, any student that wants to reach out to me, like feel free to. Uh, my email is on the at Fossey website or LinkedIn. And I'm always happy to chat and grab coffee if you're in DC or if I'm in whichever town that you're in. So I guess with that, the the Penn Alumni Network is is awesome. I mean, in every city, uh, especially the major ones, you can always find somebody, both for me at SCAD and, and at Covington, they've been a great resource for me to learn how to acclimate to that culture. And the first day of my summer program, actually, two Penn alums reached out to me and was like, hey, do you want to grab lunch? And I was like, oh, this is, this is wonderful because I don't know who I'm supposed to reach out to. <laughs> and uh, having that immediate contact was, was great. And the same thing happened when I went to join Covington. A bunch of Penn people reached out and you know, said, like, hey, let's, let's grab lunch. And I think that not only finding your friends through that network, but also mentors and people that you can uh, be a mentor too through Penn is is very very helpful. Mm. This was great. Stephen, yeah. I try to convince people to slow down.